Welcome to the Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast. This is episode seven. Uh, I am your host, Nick, and I am joined by Steve, affectionately called the intern. Is episode seven on Star Wars got better? Because it got bad for a long time, and then it got better. I don't know if that's the Skywalker one. We can look that up later. Oh, shoot. I'm totally blanking on what episode that is. It's okay. It might just be an old person thing to be up on your Star Wars. No, episode seven is the new stuff, right? And that's where it went bad. Oh, I liked it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Anyway. All right. Uh, <laughs> it's not a we're Star Wars We're not here to talk about Star Wars yet. It'd probably have a much bigger audience if we were talking about Star Wars, but this is the Rodeo Labs podcast. Space. <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick is your host. Uh, and it, it's been a minute. Again, I thought we were about to find a rhythm, but man, life just has a way. Yeah, which is a good segue into today's episode. Yeah. Uh, the Cocopelli Trail. Yeah, um, all all bike packing, bike camping aficionados should be eager for this episode. I feel like maybe Michael should have put some Star Wars music when I said, and some Echo, the Cocopelli Trail, trail. <laughs> just to make it cooler. Um, we have a live orchestra now. Yeah, so we did this. We did this ride. By the way, Nick is uh, on painkillers because he threw his back out, not on the Cocopelli. So I'm co-host today. Um, so maybe I'll talk and maybe you'll talk. Um, there's no agenda unlike last time. Yeah. We're going to talk about going to Colorado and riding to Utah and, uh, why? So high level Cocopelli trail. The Cocopelli trail is, is mythic, right? And well, I don't know if it's mythic and bikepacking, but it is a very well-known route in the Midwest. Yes. Uh, I think it's right up there with Slick Rock Trail of some of the names that I first heard when I started thinking and riding bikes off-road. It was just like this mythical, magical place that I would probably never make it to. Um, And it's big in my head, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, I know a lot of people have done it. Lachlan Morton just did it faster than anyone's ever done it. Yeah, the FKT. Uh, Which don't calculate your projected moving speed based on three or four times FKT because that undersells just how fast he went and also how slow you might go. Um, We did not FKT. But what did we do? We... I actually don't even know if we set a known time. No, our goal was to set a a KT, a known time for Cocopelli Trail. And we failed. We failed. (laughs) We set a known time for a partial Cocopelli. Most of Cocopelli? Yeah, the most of Pelli, uh, which is what David called it. And so, full disclosure, um, David's not here, and we would normally have everyone here, but um, things are tough with COVID right now, and uh, Nick lives upstairs, and I work downstairs, and we're talking about it, but we can't have everybody here. We haven't figured out the Skype thing yet, so um, I'd like to get Tom in here. 
he works here as well and did it and, and see if we can bounce some things off him because it was his first time bikepacking. Uh, so it all came about because uh, someone said we need to do a big adventure, and I said, let's do Cocopelli. And then he said, uh, when? And I said, next week. And then we actually turned it into three weeks, and then I kind of mentioned it to some people like, hey, guys, I'm going. Do you want to go? And that's how our group formed. So we had four people. Um, and here's how invites work around here. Have we done something about this stupid with you before? Uh, is a good way to come on one of these trips. So whenever you do something that you know is dumb, you don't want to just uh, like go, you know, out and just say, "Hey, anybody who wants to come can come." Even though I've thought a lot about like clicks and things like that, which I don't like. But in this case, you need to ride with people you know can make it because it's hard and you get stuck and bad things can happen and your crew has to be solid. So, uh, invited some peeps. Um, and then I did nothing for three weeks (laughs) till T minus one day. You let everyone else simmer. Yeah. I was like, David, David seemed really excited. And he said, uh, he just kind of took the lead with like logistics and reading about the route and looking at maps. And, And I was relieved that somebody else had the bandwidth to kind of like scope it because I didn't, I just wanted to do it, figured I'll just follow the lead of everybody else. Um, so you did a really good job understanding what we were up against. Um, and I did no preparation at all. Literally hadn't ridden my donkey cause I've been riding the flannel so much for a month and a half or something like that. Um, I'm pretty sure it worked, lubed the chain, didn't charge the DI two. Uh, that was the night before we left. Um, so that's my build up. How about you? <laughs> yeah. Um I think I had a, a different build up. I had a I really liked my build up, but I think just stepping back one quick second, I think it was, you know, kind of going back to like who are who are the people that were were on this trip. Um I think it was an interesting breakdown of um Steven and I were both on this trip. This was both going to be our fourth bike pack of the year. We've kind of figured out a system of just like what works. And so I think it was really interesting dynamic because, um, David and Tom both have done some arguably very silly rides with us. Um, so we, we invited them. Um, you kind of know that they're up for anything. They're not going to complain. They're just going to be like, yeah, this is stupid. I get it. Right. Um, and, and so it was great, but they, neither of them have gone bikepacking before, you know? And so like a lot of it was just like, Hey, what works? What gear are you using? You know, and that was a lot of the lead up was not only, not only route prep of just like, where do you think the water cache should be, or like how much ground should we cover, or how many days do we anticipate doing this in, but, um, yeah, just like, what is it? What are you guys bringing? You know, um, so I there think- were like my daughter's thirteen, and when I see her notifications, she'll have six hundred texts unread. I'm more like four. Um, texts unread on my phone, but this thread got out of control organizing <laughs> this trip. And I definitely saw like 88. I don't think I ever saw a hundred, but I had to mute it because a lot of communication goes into planning a trip like this. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, it was appropriate, you know, in times of maybe, maybe in a different world, you'd, you'd meet in person and just kind of lay out some gear and talk it over or whatever. But in the, in this day and age, texting was the medium and there was a lot of text thrown about. So, um, 
and I think you know a lot of people thought thoughtfully about what their gear might be where you know what the route was and all that but um my personal lead up um also kind of similar to Steven just um sat back a little bit on the planning was definitely active and in, in throwing out some opinions on just what I thought has worked in the past for me while also being full disclosure like I don't know what works I learn something every time I go and I've just tweaked it every time um which I think never stops yeah no it really doesn't um yeah so that was you know just trying to just you know ease people into it because there's a little bit of a different style of adventure um which was exciting and and then i was just coming off uh an overnight bike pack and eagle uh and then dropping that gear you know shedding the donkey down to just you know uh, a frame bag and basically taking it might mountain biking with with um my folks out in western colorado uh and so i think i was thrashing my bike pretty good but then, yeah, I think like two nights before we were supposed to roll out, I was like, I think I should clean this, clean the chain, you know, grease some things. Let's not start a bike packing trip with a squeaky bike. Um, just show it some love. So did that. Um, charge the DI2. I did. I was a little concerned about time between last charge. That's good. Yeah. So uh, I feel like it was it was a nice lead into a trip, uh, although. I think logistically, I would say we we already, I guess, I don't really, I don't know, shot ourselves in the foot, you know, in terms of just like what we thought the day would be. I think just like logistically, when do you leave Denver to get to, to Moab and yeah. drop a car? And so I thought Cocopelli Trail, again, there's so much information about this route. It's not even funny. And I read none of it, um, which is dumb. Um, and I had seen like some dirt roads from I-70, which you can see from Cocopelli. Um, and I was like, well, it's going to be a lot like that dirt roads from Grand Junction or Fruta to Moab. It was just going to go dirt road ride and take my donkey. Won't really be that big of a deal. There isn't really anything more stupid that we haven't done in terms of mountain biking on our bikes. So it should be fine. Um, that was my expectation. And I thought we're going to move pretty well. It, yeah, it's what thirteen thousand feet of climbing, or is it 18, 15, 15 or sixteen? Yeah, and I just thought that's not a lot of climbing for three days and one hundred and thirty miles. So that shouldn't be that hard. Fifty or sixty? Really? <laughs> yeah. I I feel like all the routes I downloaded were like well, the one that I finally downloaded said one thirty. Um, I think we ended up doing one thirty, which is funny because I didn't even look for an. I just went to Ride GPS, entered Cocapelli, and looked at a few routes. Tried to pick one that was pretty long, uh, and downloaded it. Um, don't know if that was the official route or the right way to do it, but um, yeah, that's not smart. Know your route. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's it's interesting too. Is like it's one thing to to pour over documents online and. And, you know, bikepacking.com says, hey, the last time you visited this site was today. And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> no shit. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing here, you know, and that and they link out to a route. But I think you can read about something so many times, but it's just so hard. Like it's it, reading something is just a single snapshot in time, right? You know, someone can write a trail report in the comments on the site from a month ago 
and the conditions can be drastically different. Yes. And I think that was the hardest part of like translating the online reading and routing to like the conditions we faced out there. Yeah, we later read Rebecca Rush's FKT ride report. It sounded nothing like the Cocapelli that we rode. It had just rained. Yeah, the ground was hard packed. The conditions were cool. She called it hero dirt. Hero dirt. Did we see any hero dirt? There was no dirt. There was sand. Uh, <laughs> for, for the furthering the Star Wars reference, it just felt like a giant sarlacc pit. Yeah, no, there was definite, yeah. Uh, so the same route will be different in the spring, in the fall, in the summer, in the winter. And don't take that for granted when you go. You need to think about um, the potential route conditions based on we're in a drought in Colorado. So uh, that's it's good to know in retrospect. I'll, I'll never exactly do that again. Yeah, no, that's that was maybe arguably like the biggest mistake we made was just counting on epic conditions, you know. And I think personally, I tailored my water strategy around it, and that, you know, I think everyone I think felt that at some point on the ride, and we can get to that at a different point. But I think tailoring, you know, like water is probably one of the most important things, and like if you're tailoring your entire ride strategy of like how long you think will take to get to the next checkpoint around these mythical condition ride reports that you've read, but you don't actually know what it's going to be is pretty bad move. (laughs) Yeah. So how much, how much water capacity is this too soon, but how much water capacity did you have on your bike to get nerdy with it? I carried the least amount of water between everyone. I had, uh, 66 ounces. So you, you had three water bottles, right? Three mid-sized water bottles, three biggish water bottles, but not huge. I would never be more than three hours from a water refill. Got it. I had the same capacity. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, I had my down tube bottle. You had you had technically a bigger capacity with a bladder. I had a bladder that I never used. Right. Uh, and I left the hydration pack at home. I just stashed the bladder in the frame bag thinking, I don't know, maybe I'm going to want it. This doesn't weigh anything and it would be good to have. Um, which that was a good call. Unfortunately, I never used it, which is a bad call. It was like a power-up that you never activated. I know. And I, <laughs> and I know exactly where I would have now. So so uh, uh, we couldn't even possibly get into the how bad it was the night before. But what we ended up doing was we drove to Grand Junction, rented a house, uh, dropped our gear, and then one car went to Moab ahead uh, to do the car drop so that we wouldn't have to shuttle back. Uh, and then the other car was supposed to go, broke down, probably wasn't going to happen. It, it, like somehow got fixed and the car arrived, but you guys, and then there was a water drop, uh, that you needed to do on the way back where we dropped 10 gallons of water at a spot. Um, you guys didn't even get back to the house until like three. Yeah. It was kind of comical. I mean, like. <laughs> what could go wrong did go wrong um yeah. and on was, the drive on the drive which is really unfortunate um i mean i think i mean it it really it boiled down to just an, an oil change and um a cap didn't get tightened and oil was just leaking all over an engine and then um hope like thankfully like the cap was still there but it was extremely lodged and and so yeah one car went ahead did the water cash and then you know, there was cell service. It was great. We, we found out that the other car was back on the road and like, Hey, we're back on the road. We'll meet you in Moab kind of thing. And, 
Um, but it was just, you know, it was unplanned things that, yeah, ultimately ended up, I think, I didn't, yeah, didn't get to bed till like 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m. the night before yeah. a three-day bike pack, right? right. <laughs> not, not a good way to start a trip. Uh, there have been studies about how much lack of sleep takes off the top of whatever physical condition you're in, and that stuff's real, man. Like, yeah. that, that'll wreck you. You won't think clearly. So you, you, Tom, and David were all kind of in a bad place, right, even at the start of the ride. Yeah. I had actually stayed back because my bike wasn't packed, uh, and I was pre-dialed and rested in the morning, unfortunately. So we did the thing, went to, got a breakfast burrito, uh, drove to Fruita, left the car, uh, started from Fruita downtown, had nice 10 miles of 20-something miles an hour. David hit it too hard because he was excited, and we all just nuked it, which was great. So we banged out, I don't know, 7 to 10 miles in no time at all and thought, well, we're only really trying to get to 70 miles today. This is going to be a piece of cake. Fair warning, I feel like every time I do a bike pack, I also think 50 miles is a good cap for me personally. Yeah. And we were already like, eh, let's do 70. Yeah. Yeah, so take away. Do not do 150-mile days. It's not fun. This isn't a race. Are you doing this for fun? Are you trying to do an FKT? Why were we doing this? I think that's a that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think each person probably went into this trip wanting to get something else out of it. I know personally, I've just really enjoyed bikepacking. I think it puts me in a different mindset. It's like a, I don't want to call it, totally escapism because i don't want to escape from my reality i really i think arguably it's like it's a good reality like the world you know we live in there's a lot of like pain and hurt in it and and so i think for me sometimes bikepacking was like a way to like disconnect um from it you hopefully are out of cell service and um arguably on this trip sometimes it was nice to be in cell service for coordination but uh, it's nice just to like, I'm not checking my phone. I'm, you know, I'm fully processing a moment. I am self-contained. I have all the food I need to make to eat myself. Um, I have like a sleep system I could just set up on the side of the trail and boom, I have a little mini house. And, um, I think that freedom for me, uh, is is just a blast. Like at some point, like you'll just connect with like the bike on the trail and just the, the pure simplicity of the moment and it's just really liberating. So that was one of my personal motivations and it was arguably it's Cocopelli trail. Who doesn't want to do it? Right. Yeah. And I think we talked about doing it for so many, so long. Like, let's do Cocopelli. Okay. And then no one, you know, and then finally we did it. Um, I did want to escape. This was pure escapism. Um, and this has been the most stressful year, uh, Hey, this has not been a bad year, which I'm thankful for. Like, rodeo's fine. People want bikes. But there has been nothing smooth or rhythmic or uh, low stress about this job this year. Uh, and I I needed to get away from that, from, like, I, I'm a desk jockey that tells people why their bikes are late. That's my day job. Uh, and And get back to, like, rodeo is about riding bikes and that's why I started it. And I've always fought to not lose touch with that. And, uh, I feel like, I mean, I felt like I had, and I think it was a little weird with the Atlas mountain races doing their sign up uh, for the 2021. And it's, I knew I wasn't going to do that again. Um, 
but it's sad when you see everybody talking about going back and having a big adventure and you don't have anything. You're just like, nothing to look forward to. I have a very stressful job. The, the world is angry. Uh, there's a very stressful election coming. Uh, COVID cases are on the rise. They're probably going to lock this whole thing back down. Am I going to even be able to take an adventure in a month or two? Uh, like how, so it was kind of uh, like a, a little bit of a mental health, like I need to force myself out of the swirl of the environmental stresses that I'm in and go back to something that's very, very simple. And you could say that bike packing is complicated maybe when you're packing your bike. And it's really not that complicated when you're on the bike. You just need to like get somewhere and then put your tent up and go to bed and then hopefully do it again one or two times. Uh, so I needed an escape. Um, and all the way up to the point where I'm getting in the car and we're driving to Grand Junction and I just wasn't even in it. I was just like, I wish I could stay home, uh, hide on my couch and watch some garbage television because the idea of being... I just didn't seem like this reality could even be escaped. Uh, that's how sort of weighty it all felt. So, um, yeah, and, and I did say to you, I know when we finally start riding a bike, it's all going to come back, but it hasn't felt that way for a long time, and uh, I'm just trusting that it will come back because my head's not here right now, even though uh, you know we're driving or we're in Grand Junction packing our bikes. My head's not here. Um, so it, I needed it, uh, and, and maybe that sounds a little selfish or uh, like, well, good for you that you can just walk away from you know your terrible reality. Most people can't. Well, that's not lost on me, but um, if if you don't put some priority on the fact that you you need healthy experiences, then you're just going to swirl. And and so I mean, we'll all find them in different ways, but this was just one way for me to go away for three days. Uh, so thankfully. My wife, Sarah, is okay with, on a limited basis, me disappearing, leaving the kids for three days. And I got the pass, and I took it. So that's why I went. And I expected the desert to be very austere and sort of simple in maybe a way that biking the Colorado Trail wouldn't be, you know, like pushing your bike up shale fields and, you know, that kind of thing, Uh, thunderstorms in the night. I just thought there's really nothing there to get in the way. Uh, and maybe as a mind cleansing experience, this was the way to do it. Um, so that was me. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I like, I think it's one of the, the most important things is like, how do you, how do you do your self care? You know? And, and if your self care does look like bike packing, go do it, you know? But if it's not bike packing, like I think everyone is extremely wound up this year. And, um, for, a plethora of reasons that are all extremely valid. And so it's like what works for you. And I think, yeah, yeah, for Steven and I, it's definitely bikepacking is part of that solution. I think there's probably a big part of the reason why the entire world of bikes just totally got huge this year was because it's a very simple way that people could uh, escape or do something healthy or outside that felt maybe normal. Uh, in in a world where not a lot of other things feel normal right now. Um, So, yeah. I think I wanted to know if anything could feel normal right now um, going to, you know, to Cocopelli. Uh, That was probably my biggest question as a thesis was, is there a place that feels normal? 
Um, so, yeah. So we started. Uh, <laughs> we had some some big, big things that are big reasons of why we wanted to do this. Uh, and then we were just out there and we were faced with the reality of we're doing it. Yeah. And I think it started to hit like we're doing it. Uh, so we hit the Cocopelli trailhead. There's this parking lot and you go up and over this little hill and you drop down. And what are those first trails called? Um, it's the Cocopelli loops, right? Yeah. Um, super and, famous stuff, I guess, in Fruta. Yeah. And, and that trail that you take, uh, it has a name. Uh, sorry, I don't have it. It's just the first trail you get on. Uh, and it's, it's like along, Mary's loop, I think. Yeah. And you're along the rim of, of sort of the Colorado river and some cliffs and you're on it's single track as much as, you know, slick rock desert riding a single track. And, and, and then it finally hit me. I was like, Whoa, we're doing it. Like we're just riding bikes. And then I mapped out my whole day in front of me and I was like, all we have to do is ride bikes today and then put our tents up tonight. Uh, and that's a good feeling, you know, like rehydrate some beans and cheese or whatever, you know, we were eating, uh, and that's, I think, maybe where the therapy starts. Yeah. Uh, all the way up to there, was, there's was no therapy of like packing the bike and grocery shopping and wondering about calories and water and all the other things that you're doing. But when you actually do start, uh, the therapy hits um, for me. So, no, I think for everyone. <laughs> yeah. And that's where you start to ask. It's, it's, I mean, it's the same as when I used to like race crits. Where you just like, I remember when I used to. St- just starting, I would would not be able to sleep the night before a crit or a cross race. Uh, just thinking about how exciting it was, uh, and then you get to that starting line, or even like some of these huge gravel races, and when you finally, they finally just say go, and you're like, yes, this is this is why I'm, you know, like it's such a all I have to do is ride bikes now. Uh, is such a nice moment that is enjoyable no matter what, no matter how hard anything gets after the start. You've always got that moment of like, we're doing it. Yeah. The equation is just so simple. Just yeah. just go ride. Like there's none of these other externalities yeah. of packing and food. and Yeah. yeah. You're with three friends. You're all just whooping, yeah. uh, which is the fun part of bikepacking with friends is that you, you're sharing it. Uh, I think solo is profound. The one trip I did this year that was solo. Um, but it wasn't a shared experience uh, and sharing it is fun. Uh, so that was cool. So, I don't know. Is this a good spot to talk about the bikes that we're on? Yeah. I think, I mean, it's like, it's, I feel like it's Rodeo's podcast, so it's kind of yeah. a no-brainer. Right. But, like, yeah. Um, I guess Cocopelli is technically, maybe most people would would recommend or be like, oh, you're doing Cocopelli, you're probably doing it on a mountain bike, right? And be like... I think that's everyone. Yeah. I was actually talking to David and maybe you were there on the ride. And I was like, do you think anyone else has ever done it this way before? And there's always like some Wahoo who did it in like 1994 on like something. But there's no Strava. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> do other people do Cocapelli on fat tired gravel bikes with no suspension? And and I had even taken my suspension stem off. So I really was just on a rigid fat tire bike. Um Tom, ha- he's riding uh, like a really old 26-inch Mongoose tie frame with uh, an actual like 140 mil suspension fork. So he, he had suspension. Uh, the rest of us were just 
just like deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, I think he had nuances though. I mean, we had what hydro disc brakes and he was on, it wasn't cantilevers, but it was some. He's on a mechanical one. Okay. Oh, because he's on a mechanical disc on the front yeah. and V brakes on the back. Yeah. So it was yeah. a trade off. You get some suspension, but you have yeah, yeah. different brakes. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's a, it's a very real experience, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's rough terrain. And I think that's why, you know, going back to the, how we started this of like, who should come on this ride? I mean, I don't think the invite was like, you have to be on a rodeo, you know, cause Tom clearly wasn't, but it was very much like, are you comfortable being uncomfortable on your bike? Um, and not in like uncomfortable in a bad way, but like it's hard riding, like how good are you are, how good are you at picking out a line and kind of finding the flow and, and kind of creating momentum where like a lot of that suspension is kind of your body or how big of a tire you have. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a common philosophy in modern bikes is to make them as comfortable as you possibly can uh, and just kind of remove adversity from the experience to the the extent that technology lets you do it, which is completely fine. And and that's the thing that people don't understand about us when they criticize, why are you doing that? Get a mountain bike. Like, I wouldn't argue. Uh, Get a mountain bike. Like they're super fun and will make you more comfortable and faster. And no doubt Cocapelli is faster and more comfortable on literally any mountain bike, uh, compared to what we were doing. That's probably better. Our bikes are probably better than the original mountain bikes that did Cocapelli, which is an interesting thought. Like these 26 inch cantilever or V brake fully rigid, who knows what, you know, the beach cruisers, diamond back <laughs> or GT, whatever, you know, uh, maybe triangle. they had a rock shocks, but nobody really thinks those things worked. Uh, so in a way we are riding a, a more capable bike than maybe the early Cucapelli people, but it, they're far less capable of like high speed rowdiness than any modern, yeah. modern mountain bike. And that's okay. If that's what you're into, I don't think everybody should be into what I'm into. Um, but I've been mountain biking. I started mountain biking in the early 90s, and I had many iterations of mountain bikes all the way up to the final Yeti that I owned that I recently just sold. And I'm just not uh, entertained by that type of challenge. But that's that's abnormal. So I don't want to paint this podcast like, go take your gravel bike and do Cocapelli on it. Most people shouldn't because you're there to just enjoy the experience in a different way. And we were there for an arbitrary assignment of what would it be like? Can we do it? Um, and what's the story afterwards? So it's a little bit more, you know, kind of lab work, um, which we do, which is how we prove that our bikes are capable or durable or tested. Uh, so there's a lot of reasoning behind it. But the, the real reason is because I think it's fun for me. Um, and if that's not fun for you, then don't do it. Uh, just do, do what makes you happy. This is an adult recreational sport. Like, or a kids, you know, like there's, it's all just for fun. So I don't ever want to shill people into thinking my way is, is the way, but I won't lie that I have fun with that challenge. Uh, it, it, I was happy all day long, every day I was happy on this trip. Um, just totally in my element on the bike that we brought to life in a place that's beautiful with friends covering distance. Maybe it's slow, maybe it's fast. It, it checked all my boxes in that way. So that's, you know, my thinking about here. We had what, how big were our tires? 
Yeah, we were, um, I mean, arguably on, you know, mountain bike size tire, I was running a, a Maxxis 2.2 and, and, and I think Steven's right, you know, like the, in some regards, like, you, you know, everyone is after the same ultimate feeling of, of flow. Like, I mean, whether it's on dirt, like a gravel road or like a slick, rocky, single tracky section that has some like rock drops or something. And I think, I think both can be had, uh, you know, on, on either like a, a traditional full suspension mountain bike with all the bells and whistles and feeling comfortable versus, you know, the, the trail donkey. And, and I think they both ultimately offer the same thing in like slightly different variations. It's, yeah. And, and so it's like, you know, like the week before I was like hanging out on, on a mountain bike trail and riding my, my trail donkey. And, and then I swapped bikes and I tried a, a, a blinged out mountain bike and it was like, well, that's a very different experience. And, and ultimately that was a good experience and it was a lot of fun, but it's, it's just different, but it was like, it's nuanced. Like they both, like you can find a flow on a trail on a fully loaded bike, um, just as much as a mountain bike can find a flow. And it's just like, are you willing to find that flow? Yeah. And are you willing to absorb bumps yeah. yourself? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had fat, fat tires and we had mountain bike gears. There's just like straight up mountain bike gears. I think I had like a 34 up front and, you know, a 946 in the back, which is just what I run on the donkey and works everywhere. Uh, might even be a 36. Um, yeah, I had a 36. It just, it just works fine. There's, I mean, it's DI2, but it's not that complicated. Um, brakes work really well. You have a ton of traction when your bike weighs we weighed our bikes oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) what did our bikes weigh uh it was kind of ran the gamut but i mean it was all 50 to 60 pounds yeah i think there was like 52 to up towards 60 i feel like i was around 56 and i was in my three bottles of water um yeah they're heavy uh and you don't spin out Going yeah. up steep stuff because yeah. that tire is just like smashed into the ground. It's, it's pretty glued. cool. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that a bike that heavy doesn't feel heavy once you've ridden five miles or 10 miles on it. After that point, your inputs are adjusted, your mind understands what you're doing, and it just kind of rides like a bike. Um, I think that's why we just don't spend a lot of time obsessing about static weight here because I think that that's a garage obsession. Uh, or a bike shop obsession where you're like, what's it feel like when I lift this thing? Like you could have a panic attack if you lift a fully loaded bikepacking bike. Like I'd love to know what Ryan Wilson's bike weighs, you know, when he's over in Turkey, probably 70. I don't know. Cause he's got everything on it and he doesn't care. You don't care anymore. You're just riding a bike and it feels good. Um, yeah. I mean, if the primary purpose of riding a bike was actually just lifting it up, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's then, not a dumbbell. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's forward momentum with wheels. So, so those first miles were fun. Yeah, I think I, we set the stage. You know, of yeah, the the opening pavement section, and then just mind-boggling, you know, beauty of just something totally different than what you see in Colorado. Um, just like these red, red landscaped rocks, or I mean, I guess it was still in Colorado, but you know, most of most of our riding is on the front range so just that that transition from colorado to utah where it's just really stark contrast like these cliffs and there's the colorado river and it's winding down and you know there's like some some people down there in rafts and it's just it's a very different landscape it's just it's stunning and so it's just like when the landscape um wows you that much it just kind of 
it doesn't pull you out of what you're doing. It just amplifies it, you know? And so you're just like, oh my gosh, like, look where I am. Oh my gosh, I'm riding my bike. Oh my gosh, but look where I am. Oh my gosh, the bike feels great. Like, you know, and you just kind of like, you get yourself like so hyped up. And so I think, yeah, whatever it was, like the first like 15 miles of just like the Fruita trails that were part of the Cocapelli were just, it was just joy, you know? Everyone was just totally in the moment having a blast. Until? Until, you know, yeah, there's here's the the hammer drops. Until we weren't. Uh, our bad luck continued in the form of uh, Tom's rear rim, which is the one that was attached to V-brakes. Um, he tacoed that thing uh, hard on it's just some sort. I mean, this is like cliffy, kind of stair-steppy, big rock, single, tra- single track. It's like slick rock with a line through it with rocks and cliffs and things. So he, he killed that wheel. Uh, pretty bad and it was like maybe his ride's over and that was only really like seven miles in uh, which is pretty sobering and he was just really frustrated justifiably and he just asked us to leave him alone because we're all like here's what you need to do which doesn't really help Um, he's like leave me alone with my rim I'm gonna figure out what to do and we had good cell service so um we said, all right, we'll just keep riding. Good luck. And, you know, let us know. Like, I mean, if you have to bail, you're only seven miles in. We're all big kids, so we weren't really worried about him. Um, and that was the last that we saw. That's the last time you saw Tom until the end of the day. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's kind of, it's a weird thing. I think that was a weird decision to make. Um in hindsight, in general, in philosophy, although I guess, you know, there's tongue-in-cheek philosophy at Rodeo of leave one man behind, and boy, did we. Um, You know, but I mean, it's like, why are you there? Like, I mean, part of it is like, we want the experience. I mean, but again, like, to remind everyone, like, you know, most of us were operating on, like, four hours of sleep, you know, and here's, here's a guy that just, like, boom, like, is his ride over? I don't know. Like, you know, he's talking about truing his wheel with like the tools that he brought like freehand like how do you true a wheel in the wild and you're bike packing we got to make camp and it's gonna get dark and like ah he's saying leave us al- like leave him alone so i don't know i i wish we didn't just continue riding and i wish i didn't then just see him at camp but i don't know what, yeah. do, you, what do you do right yeah we, i mean we made the call i think i kept going because it didn't look like he was gonna make it and i didn't want to sit around for an hour finding out that it wasn't gonna roll again uh, and I knew that he only had to get back seven miles of pushing to the parking lot at least. So I thought Tom's going to be fine. He's probably not going to make it, which is a huge bummer because he, he put in arguably way more effort than anyone getting ready because he had nothing at the start of this whole story. And then he you know got his bikepacking set up ready and, and then seven miles in, something goes terribly wrong. But we left him behind um, and continued on. And like you said, you know, that was hanging over us, but, uh, it was still really fun just to be riding. And in those first 17 ish miles before you drop down to Colorado river, is that, is that rabbit Valley is rabbit Valley the top? I don't know what that Valley down there is. Rabbit Valley was basically once we got on double track, double track. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we dropped down some nice sketchy stuff. Nick went off the trail, uh, lost some 
uh, Tevez, which is a huge bummer, dented his uh, fuel canister. And we almost exploded. We we actually <laughs> joked that he could have actually like exploded if like he'd blown his fuel canister open. So we're glad he's with us right Crack, now. Cracked a saddle. That shook you up. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bunch of bike pushing in there too, where it goes up and down, up and down these little ridges, and it's completely unrideable. There's no one on on you know. There's no bike in the world, no motorcycle that could get up some of that hike a bike stuff. Um, and that's where I think a little wind went out of my sails for a couple hours or an hour, whatever that was just kind of like, wow, this isn't just going to be a, a little romp all the way to camp. Like this is really hard work. Uh, and we, so we climbed up out of that section. I don't know what it's called. Um, but you'll know cause it's before rabbit Valley and it's after, uh, the Cocopelli single track. Uh, and we get up to rabbit Valley. Uh, and it's just double track, like hard pack, slightly downhill. This is the part that I could see for my 70 and we just ripped, uh, and it was fun. And we're like, great, well, we got this until we get to camp. This is going to be fun. Uh, and we did that for miles and I was like, look at us back to averaging 20 miles an hour. This is just, this is is such an easy sport. We're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) We're gods. Uh, I feel like. When did that end? Uh, not long. Uh, yeah, so it got really hard basically right as you come into like the, the center of Rabbit Valley and then take another offshoot out of Rabbit Valley um, just along the Cocopelli. And it was just a sand trap. I, like, I, like what we experienced versus some of the ride reports just like, like completely different. Started as moon dust where you're looking down at your tire and you're riding through a cloud. Uh, and that wasn't so bad because there was something under the moon dust. Right. But then it turned into the Sarlacc pit. Ultra fine, ultra dry sand drifts on a double track road. Like at least six inches deep. Like it was yeah. just swallowing, you know, your tire and it's just... Just as bad as any cycle cross sand trap. But you can't put out 500 watts for more than like 10 seconds. Yeah. So you can't really ride it and you're pushing. You're pushing your bike. It's midday. It's hard. You don't know if or when it will end. Um, your, your water strategy starts to fall apart because you didn't anticipate miles of walking. Right. Uh, some concern <laughs> begins to develop. Uh, meanwhile, Tom had been texting us updates that he had indeed um, regained the function of his bike and continued and seemed to be a couple of miles behind us, which wasn't such a terrible thing. So that was good. That was good news. Uh, and he found a Tiva. He found one of your Tevas. Yeah. Um, so, so there was a point where uh, after a lot of that really difficult stuff, we stopped, had a Coke, uh, which, by the way, Coke minis, very good, like, secret weapon uh, bikepacking thing. Bring a couple for your lowest moment, and you'll know it when you hit it. It's a morale uh, booster. And you just need a pound of Coke, and, like, you get all those terrible chemicals in you, and you're good to go for a while again. Uh, we did that at lunch. I feel like that's when I finally felt like, okay, we can do this. Like yeah. that, that, that Coke spot. Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of, I was in a mood. It's also where we peeled off of more or less where we peeled off of the Cocopelli route, uh, semi-intentionally because it was like going up to the right up through some Canyon with a big climb. And we were looking at this double track road and I was like, guys, I don't really need more single track right now. I just kind of want to like get to camp and, and have fun. And to me, this is all just the Coca-Pelli. I don't really care what the official route is. So we went left 
down down a double track, which sort of held together well enough to not be terrible and uh, made some okay time. Got to an old farmhouse, really cool, uh, took some pictures, uh, and that was basically when we got to Westwater, which is a major, major part of any Kukapelli, like, event or strategy. This, like, it's just where Colorado rafters get out, Colorado uh, River, uh, and we're put in, and there's a ranger station, and um, there's filtered water in a spigot, and in our case, there were some serious, like, rafter party people there with, like, food, so we got some apples. Um, that was a good stop. A little bit of trail magic. Yeah, a little tra- trail magic, exactly. It wasn't planned. We weren't cheating. <laughs> uh, we're unsupported. Uh, and that you have to peel a couple miles off the official Cocopellian backtrack to Westwater, but you should do it because there's not a lot of water on yeah. Cocopelli, and you need to take advantage of the opportunities to get water when you get them. Um, so that was, that was the right move is good move. Um, but it was also the point of, uh, great adversity. The next chapter was leave yet another man behind. What should we do with Tom? <laughs> uh, hadn't heard from him in a while. And, uh, we heard some texts of like, are you guys going to wait for me or what, or something to that effect. And I felt pretty bad about that. Um, and what was our first plan? Our first plan was good luck, Tom, we'll draw in the sand and make arrows so that you can find us and know that we continued on. And then we were going to have him not filter water or refuel. We were going to leave like a couple water bottles for him so he could have enough water to get to camp. And and you know that just like someone would have stolen those water bottles or run them over and destroyed our tracks if we had done that. Yeah, Um, it didn't seem like a good idea. And I thought what if Tom's really in a bad spot and he's had a TBI in the past getting hit by a car? Um, and like, what if he, I don't know, all these scenarios, what if he's fallen and hit his head and he doesn't have cell service? What if he's really frustrated and he's in a complex situation, but like some of those mental things, uh, get in his way. Uh, and it just freaked me out that like, I actually thought like, what if something terrible happens to Tom and I have to explain to his wife why we left him behind, which was pretty like pit of my stomach. That's just really bad stuff. So the revised plan was, I don't really care about making fast progress, but you guys should get to camp in time to set up during daylight. And then I'll wait for one hour for Tom. Uh, and I, he's just got to show up. He wasn't that far behind. And, uh, so you guys took off, uh, which was totally good. We had a plan. I have a satellite texter uh, so I could get in touch with you guys. Uh, and then uh, I just killed time just looking for him to appear. And he, he appeared one hour to the exact minute of what my cutoff was. I was like, okay, it's 520, and I've got to get going because I don't want to be really out there that long after dark and – I don't know what's going on with Tom, but maybe he's going to go back to I-70, which we, again, weren't that far from. And I I guess that was my plan was I can't wait forever and I'm not going back. And it worked because he rolled up right at the exact moment. We went back to Westwater. We refilled him. He's in good spirits. He's fine. His bike was working. Uh, And we continued on together. Um, And um, you guys made it to camp. I had the most glorious experience. I feel like after all the trials and tribulations, like I finally found the flow, the flow of bikepacking. Yeah. 
you know, and, and I, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was great. Um, you know, part of it was we had a water cache. We thought like maybe we should get to the water cache, but you know, we kind of were riding these just stunning sections at, at golden hour and it was just, it was awesome. Um, but then there was like this perfect camp spot right on the Colorado river. Uh, and we were like, okay, this would be really hard to ride at dark. We know those guys are going to be coming through at dark. Like let's put up camp here. And, um, I think this will be a, a great place to wake up in the morning and we can eat dinner now and flag them down as they ride by. Yeah. And so we got, we got a little bit caught out in the dark and, uh, that for me is always rough. I really hate riding bikes at dark. I don't like being uncomfortable at dark. It's just a weird psychology that that's just me. Uh, so my mood went down. Tom was a little frustrated. We were getting grumpy. And even a distance like three miles or six miles just feels like unsurmountable. Um, but we were kind of plugging ahead and kind of just in a terrible mood when we finally saw your little red headlights much sooner than we thought we would be done. Uh, but you had stopped and set up this camp. And that was just like such a good end to the first day because <laughs> we got to camp like we made some food, we set up, it was a beautiful place for a camp. We weren't sitting by the highway. Everything about it was great. Um, so that was a good, good night. Uh, what's your, what's your magic dinner? Ooh, we had Frito pie. Yeah. It yeah. is truly a delight. Um, rice, beans, uh, you know, rehydrated and kind of simmered, you know, just add some water, boil it, let it simmer. Um, and then you can, you can add, um, regular cheese or vegan cheese. They're both extremely tasty. I've had both. Um, and then you, the final topping, the ingredient, you just crush some Fritos on top and it is just, it's not one of those freeze dried trail meals. It just feels like real food and it's, it's warm and it just gives you life. It costs like a buck. Yeah, it's, it's very efficient. It's cheap trail food that has a lot of calories that tastes good and is easy to make. Yeah. yeah, you introduced me to that. That's going to be on my list from here on out. Uh, what other good foods were there on this trip? Um, Ooh, you brought instant mashed potatoes. That was also a game changer. Highly recommend instant mashed potatoes. Uh, many calories in a tiny envelope. Uh, they rehydrate instantly with hot water. Uh, flavored uh, like tuna fish packets is, is something I had never done yeah, tuna uh, packets on like a little street taco flour tortilla. Yep. Uh, jalapeno flavored and hickory smoke flavored. Uh, they don't need anything. You don't need to prep them. They're just good. Um, I ate a ton of Nature Valley bars. I ate a ton of trail nuggets. I ate some Lara bar. I like variety. I brought candy, hard candy, because I get bored, and that's just a nice treat. The Coke is good. Um, gummy worms. Gummy mix. worms, Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to bring good snacks when you're bike. I think for me, for fun, don't just get a bunch of like REI dehydrated meals. You can bring some of those if you want, but, um, bring fun snacks in variety where you reach down in that thing and you're not feeling so great. And you know that like you're going to discover something you forgot you packed. That's my strategy. Yeah. I think I actually, I didn't bring any cycling food Yeah, at all. And I was happy. I was yeah. like, it just couldn't have been better, you know? And, like you said, you reach into your bag like, oh, I did pack Pop-Tarts. What's up? Yeah. You know, so. Yep. Yeah, we had some, and it's fun to share. Um, and then I had, you know, like nut butter that I put in my instant oatmeal that makes it a little bit more permanent than just foam. 
and we did bring a flask with a little Bear Creek whiskey. And then at the resupply, we had some rum, uh, which it's not like I'm going to drink a lot bike packing, but it is it's just a nice little reward at the end of the day. Be like, yeah. Yeah, we got a little. I wasn't heavy drinking. It was just like, here is, here's like a nice sip. Yeah. If my total intake amounted to one shot, I would be surprised. Uh, it was a lot of tiny sips. Um, so that's fun. Yeah. Um, so good night camping. Beautiful morning. Back on the trail. We had not made six miles that we thought we would make. Uh, so we were under pace for the day. And it was a little surprising how little ground we'd covered. We, we covered like 60-ish miles that day. And we thought we'd be at 70. Uh, so we had some some making up to do before we even got to zero on our plan. And then we hit our water stash. We had stashed where the Cocopelli touches the Colorado there at the highway. I forget what highway that is. Um, we'd stashed 10 gallons in our rum. Uh, we just guzzled. Like, I think I drank three bottles of water and then refilled my three bottles for the next segment, which was what is that, 20 miles, 17 miles? It wasn't very long. Yeah, I think it was maybe 12 miles. It was it was not a Remote. Long. Yeah. Uh, like a little bit more Sarlacc pit, more climbing, double track, but really enjoyable. That was a good section. It was a lot of fun. It had a lot of variety and just, again, stunning landscape, moon-like rocks. You're like, how is this, how is this happening? Yeah. There were no bad moments there. Um, Just took time. It was slow. It was slow. I Hours and hours later, I'm like, how have we only covered 17 miles? And I actually d- don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> we just didn't ride bikes fast. We're all in shape. We just didn't ride bikes fast. So, uh, again, if you're thinking about planning a trip, do not put 100-mile days in unless you're a monster. Just make it easy on yourself because 50 will take longer than you think or 30 will take longer than you think and you're i don't think you're there to be miserable so think about that but we had we had to get to the end of cocopelli by sunday because there was a storm coming and it's that's when the weekend ends and everyone has work on monday yeah so it wasn't we needed to cover terrain and i think when we covered that section there from the highway to dewey bridge uh I was a little bit like, this better get easier because we're not doing well. We were supposed to get way up into... The LaSalle's by... Yeah, Camp Camp 2 should have been partway up, you know, the, the second... The double hump of the, the LaSalle's. Yeah. And it was supposed to be an easy 30-mile crush down into Moab at, on the last day. Like, basically all descending many, many thousands of feet. So we had done very little of our quota for day two, and uh, we started climbing again after a great lunch, uh, filtered some water. But here's, here's a critical mistake. I did not understand how much terrain we needed to cover, and I didn't understand how slow we were going to go, and I didn't really realize that I should have had a lot more water. So I filled my three bottles, and I drank another one. Uh, and I didn't feel thirsty, but I completely underestimated the fact that there is no water in the fall on Cocopelli, uh, except for the major rivers and or big creek that, what, we saw one big creek, Onion Creek. One big creek and then the Colorado River, and we passed a lot of dry riverbeds. But I think it's it's weird, because on paper, I think technically it was 30 miles. Yeah. I, I forget what it was, I but I feel like it... 30 well we didn't even do the 30 miles to that next water stop but i think 20 miles 
took us close to like four hours. Yeah. So we climbed way up this climb, uh, partially up top of the world. Uh, and it was like a Sarlacc pit climb uh, for miles and miles and miles in the midday heat. And it's just sand. You may or may not have the strength to power through it. You probably don't. Um, and it's hot and your bike's heavy and it's demoralizing and there's four of you. So you're compounding the reasons that you're going to stop. We did not make good progress up that climb. We did eventually get to the top very slowly, uh, started down the other side and guess what? The descending is not easy either. The descending was almost worse. I mean, not worse, but like it was like a normal gravel road kind of in a way to the top, except very Sarlacc pity. Yeah. But the other side went on to like full four by four terrain. Rock crawling, probably more what enchilada is like and uh, porcupine rim, like rock shelves, just really degraded conditions where you're going off one, one and a half foot, two foot ledges regularly and trying to find a line on a bike that isn't helping you. It's no suspension to make it easier. So again, we did that to ourselves. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but I started, I started to get a little pessimistic about we're only 20 something miles into what's supposed to be another 60 mile day, uh, or, or whatever that was supposed to be. And you could just tell the shadows are getting long. You're running out of water and we weren't going to make it. I think it was interesting. You know, in hindsight, we all kind of collectively had a similar story, you know, of like what we were doing, but you know, everyone started to ration their water without kind of like telling each other that that's what they were doing. But it was just kind of like for that level of heat, it was hot out. And for like that amount of time, we should have been drinking more. But each one of us started to say, okay, like, what is my emergency ration? Yeah. You know, like, what am I going to leave behind to just, if stuff really goes bad, like, what is that emergency for, for food or like to be able to boil a hot meal at the end of the day or just like, you know, and so that's like that, that started to compound of like, you're not intaking enough water. You're thinking strategically about what can I reserve? And I think that didn't help. I mean, it was like the right, arguably the right thing to do. Cause we didn't, we started just pulling out, you know, the route, like, okay, like how far are we from water? What do we think about? Like it, there's like potentially Creek on the map, but you know, it's just, what do you do? Like, yeah. And that's my biggest mistake of the entire trip is I didn't know the route. I didn't know what we were really up against and I hadn't, I hadn't decided for myself what I thought was necessary. I just, I was on autopilot and then it caught up to me with, yeah, I'm here. I am going into my third water bottle, my last water bottle. And, um, I, I, I know other people take a ton of water and some people are just going to be rolling their eyes like they did what they're so stupid. Yeah. That's dumb. Uh, I mean, it it wasn't like you're going to die dumb because, like, A, we had, you know, a tracking device that we could signal for help. And B, we weren't really that far from bailout points ever. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if I really totally understood that, though. What used to be my philosophy, which was bring too much of everything, uh, would have been great here because I would have filled that bladder, 70-ounce bladder, at the Colorado River before we went up in that climb. And I would have had water for myself and I would have been able to help everybody else. Uh, who who also didn't have enough. So it, it could have been better and we would have moved faster if we weren't probably dehydrated. But all's well that ends well. Yeah, I mean, I think we we made the most out of it. Um, I mean, it was definitely a, a sticky situation to be in, right? Like, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just, I think part of it is, it's really interesting of, again, like 
going into a ride, you can only read so much online of like what you, you know, and when you're reading that the FKT was 11 hours, like, you know, I'm not saying we were going to do it in 11 hours, but you just don't think that how can like one 20 mile section take four or five hours like that just is yeah. kind of inconceivable. And so, you know, I don't know what it means. Like, you know, when you go into a bikepacking route, should you actually talk to someone who's done it and kind of more than just reading reports online and kind of get that like human to human beta of like, well, you might've read that, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or everybody should read the route and compare notes, uh, and look at it from a bunch of different angles and sensibilities. Some people are intuitive. Some people are logical. Some people are planners. Uh, some people aren't. So, um, eh, as a good lesson, you know, is a good lesson. So, I think the next part is probably the most inconceivable. Did that really happen? And I don't think if, if there was not, like if we were not people that just enjoy taking photos and had like a photo to be like, no, that happened. Yeah. I would actually probably be like, did I, that was hallucination. Was that a water, like a lack of water hallucination? Yeah. It was, it was unreal. <laughs> so we're rolling down into, I don't know, is that Onion Valley? I don't even know what that's called down there, but we're rolling down out of whatever. Before you hit Castle Valley, but where you hit Onion Creek Road. Yeah, and, and you got your big climb into the LaSalle's about to start, uh, and we're, you know, again, very low on water and feeling pretty depressed. Uh, and then we happen upon a spectacular uh, multi-group camp event. Uh, I mean, there was a couple families, and uh, they had everything. Motorcycles, water, food, and... A, a drum set. A drum set. A drum set just in the in like the most spectacular backdrop, which is just nothing. Nature, yeah. you know. Canyons and castle monuments and a drum set. Uh and so we basically just said, Can we please have water? And they laughed and said, Every other biker who's gone by here today has also asked for water. And they had plenty because they were leaving the next day. So we all got to top up. We were very relieved about that. But we had to play drums for our water. Um <laughs> so we did play for your life <laughs> yeah we had to play for our lives uh and when they also had a pail full of golf balls and uh tom got to nail a golf ball so that was pretty fun uh but i think our mood shifted there to like we're not we're not gonna die um and it's also just like a reality check of like hey you know you did set out uh, you know we were kind of joking we're like yeah we're just gonna set a known time so yeah we wanted to set a known time but like it was a good perspective shift of like there are you know, as, as Tom put it, you can pull the ripcord, you know, and there's, and it's not the worst thing you can, you can change your strategy of like, well, maybe we won't actually do the official route, but you know what? Like, that's what we need right now. Collectively, like, let's just chill out and like go find some fun on the bike. Yeah. I mean, and I love a good brag. I want to be like, yeah, we did that on donkeys and (laughs) big deal, but, uh, no, like also let's not be fake about it or dangerous. Uh, so we we continued to the junction where I guess is, there's some sort of campground. I don't think it's called Horse Thief, but there's like a campground up and over a little climb, and right before you really head into the like eight thousand feet of climbing or whatever that is up into the Lasalles, uh, and that's I think when I looked at the map of what we still needed to do that day, and looked at how slow we were going, and thought about the conditions that we had just descended, which arguably were not very rideable in the other direction. Uh, I mean, I guess you could, but slow, slow going, more slow, more questions about water and would we be able to get more? What would camp look like? And I just said, I just want to have fun. I'm just here to have fun. 
I want to find a beautiful place to put my tent while it's still light, cook dinner with friends, watch the sun go down, and enjoy it instead of stressing about an arbitrary mileage goal on an arbitrary route. I just, this was supposed to be fun. And I don't think we're going to make it up that mountain or those two mountains tonight. So let's just let that dream die and move on to what's left. Oh, turns out we still have a lot of fun on this trip. So I said that, guys, I don't think we should do it. I can't do it. I don't think it's a good idea. And nobody even, everyone was like, yep. (laughs) <laughs> we're all we're, new plan so <laughs> it was embraced very quickly yeah every no one really grieved for full coca pelli and that's when we became the most apelli uh and we we flipped it back down uh a, amazing the most beautiful descent into sunset that i've experienced i've never heard of onion creek and man is that place underrated i'm, yeah. I'm not trying to like tell everyone to go check out onion creek but but yeah, it was it was one of the best descents paired with Golden Hour. Just Golden like Hour, unreal. Like Cottonwoods, yeah, in full blaze, red canyons with precariously balanced rocks on the top of them. Just the whole thing, yeah. everything was magic. Winding lights, changing, and optimism, which had been a fairly missing ingredient all day. We yeah. finally were optimistic about like today's not going to suck. At the end, like it could be a good day, and man. We got down to the bottom of that descent. Uh, and this this campground appeared. It was it was the perfect campground. Like right next to like all of a sudden the creek started flowing through. Yeah. We'd so we got water. We had some beta from like the campers of like, hey, yeah, there is a creek and there is actually water, you know. Um and just these the cottonwood trees were just stunning. It was just it was a beautiful campground. It was just like what could be better? There's still light out, we can set up camp yeah. and so yeah, it was So we had a lazy night, set up camp. Made dinner on our own terms, saw some sunset, hung out, all ended up going to bed pretty early. Not a lot of late night whooping and hollering there. Uh, it was a perfect bikepacking evening. Uh, that's, I think, what I wanted to happen, like some relaxation, just a moment to pause instead of push, 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 push like a race. Uh, and a windstorm hit that night, and that was pretty brutal. Uh <laughs> I think everyone woke up with sand everywhere. Just red sand on everything. It's yeah. just coated. Uh, but I didn't mind. I was like, whatever. This is why we're here, just for things to happen to us. Yeah. Uh, great mm-hmm. breakfast, filtered some water, made some good chow. Uh, and we knew at that point nothing bad. We, we knew how to exit Onion Creek, back down to the highway, and ride back down into Moab. We knew we had like a 30-something mile day ahead of us, and it was no big deal. But it felt very good to know that we weren't pushing the edges of danger and ambition, and that we just needed to just get back to the car and and get back to Denver on our terms. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I, we did. I uh, think we were rewarded, you know, with, you know, like Onion Creek just kind of kept getting good, you know, and it was, but it was like an when you throw like a, a switch in a ride like that you're like oh, okay we're not doing the route whatever like okay like yeah it's gonna be like road back in moab whatever but like i think we like we didn't realize like the treat we we're in for because like onion creek was still gorgeous yeah. you know yeah. and it was like morning light and you know there's members like what like 20 little like river yeah water. river crossings yeah it was great it was fun and it was just we were in a good mood yeah it was a good feeling of like we get to re redo this ride for fun yeah um blitz it down onion creek highly recommend exploring that if you want a fun like one overnight bike pack type thing go up onion creek look it up uh find a camp spot 
Uh, it's gorgeous. Uh, you can intersect the Cocopelli there if you want to make your own loop. Yeah. And then yeah. it's just pavement. Pavement, uh, 20-something miles of pavement. And an affirmation that we made the right call because every time we looked up into the LaSalle's, they were just covered in clouds. Black. You couldn't see the top of them. Yeah. And we were just like, wow, like we were supposed to camp on that. Like That would have actually been bad. And like maybe like... Very bad because it was probably snowing up there already and or just raining or hail. And uh, once you're up there, the end of the Cocopelli is a 30-mile descent, and you don't make heat on a descent. So if you're descending wet and cold for 30 miles, and that could be three hours, that could be five, depending on or two, depending on how fast you are, this is a terrible thing. Like we would have woken up, and we did hear from some riders who had weathered it and camped up there that night and said the windstorm ripping through the high mountains was just brutal. So I feel like we dodged a huge bullet by just making an audible uh, and and just really just being honest with what we could really take on. So that that felt healthy. Um, made it back to Moab. Uh, all pretty well tired and worked. Uh, hungry. Had a phenomenal donut fried chicken <laughs> sandwich thing. An abomination of delight. Yes. Uh, got to the car, and the minute we arrived at the car, just all hell broke loose Sky in the form of, of hail, brutal hail and high wind bursts, like a microburst that was just drenching us as we changed and got packed into the car, it w- further reinforcing the fact that if we were even 10 or 15 minutes later, we would have just been in stinging, miserable, drenched conditions. Uh, so I'm, I'm so glad we did not let our egos take control and take us up over the LaSalle's. That would have just been some kind of dead man's tale. Uh, we've been in a blizzard together once this year. We don't need to do it again. That's something I hope never to really have to recreate. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did not fully do the Cocopelli, but we did do a lot. And maybe in a way we did something better than trying to do it all. I think you could have done it all on our bikes. We would have made it. But I don't know that that last 30-mile descent is... Sometimes you don't look forward to the descents because they're just too technical and rocky and rough on a rigid bike. So uh, I think we would have been picking our way down that. So not that we'll never go back there and have a look, but um, I think we created a route for ourselves that, that we got to enjoy and had the right amount of adversity. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if, you know, time and weather aside, you know, if we didn't have to be back at work on a Monday and, you know, you don't have a storm rolling in, like, yeah, take an extra day. I think we totally could have done the loop, you know, but I, I don't think that was the purpose anymore. It was, you know, and then again, that was, I mean, it's a mythical loop, but was that really why we went? Like, no. Yeah. We just needed a place to go, a route yeah. to rally around. So uh, make sure your plans are flexible when you're bikepacking. Because <laughs> uh, nature, and I remember thinking, I'm going to name this ride, like, uh, didn't mean nothing by it, Cocabelli. Because, like, no disrespect intended, but I did not give it enough credit for being what it is. I just thought it was just kind of like a, just a victory march. Uh, and it was like, nah, nature put us in our place. Uh, we still were able to enjoy it, but, um, we learned, I think I learned a lot of do not do's, uh, along the way. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting too. It was like, in a way it was like, what was the point of it all? Like, you know, just recounting that it was like trial after trial after trial of like a lot of, a lot didn't go right. Clearly a lot of lessons were learned. Like, was it still valuable, you know? And 
I think for me it was like a resounding yeah like you can you can get a lot thrown at you but I guess it's like can you roll with it can you adapt and like still find the good in it all and yeah and there was a lot to be happy about I mean our bikes didn't break nothing nothing went wrong on any any of our bikes uh except for the bent rim uh like in terms of like can we do this yes uh that was really awesome uh it's pretty amazing that bikes can take that much of a beating any bike any modern bike can take that much of a beating and just be like we're good so that's pretty cool to bet and and then my sort of desire to reset and get away from everything mission accomplished uh like i highly recommend the desert as a place to go when urban life is just overwhelming because it's it's all gone um i mean i was able to satellite text my family good night every night but like it was a very healthy reset just to remind me that there was a world outside that I think you, you're the reality that you live in. You tend to think that's the only reality when you're in. And if you can just step out of that for a little bit and look back at it and then reenter it in a healthy way, it was a really healthy recharge. So pretty excited about um, being able to, to reset on that trip. It worked. Um, so, yeah. Mission accomplished, Cocapelli Trail, not vanquished. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, slaying some of those other deep demons, which are probably, you know, more important than taking off another route and saying that you did Cocapelli. I mean, yeah, I totally agree of just, you know, being able to disassociate from your reality and then have a new perspective jumping back into it. I think everyone had that. Um, and I think that was probably... Like that's arguably like what we should have been striving after the whole time, right? Like not just checking off a loop. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we, we went out and got it, got some stashed it. I don't know what the rest of the year holds. Things are still stressful at the office. The world's still really high pressure, a lot going on, but, uh, I feel healthier and better than I did when I left. Uh, took me a week of sleep to feel physically normal again, but, um, I would recommend that loop to anyone. I think it's an advanced loop. I don't think any beginner should take that on. And I think you should bring a ton of water, a bunch of food, and a good attitude. Yeah. No, I, I would totally agree that it's that was not an easy ride, you know, even even if you had optimal conditions, right? Like it's still in optimal conditions, that's a big loop. So yeah, I mean that that is the the recounting, so to speak, of what happened. I know there's also a film in the works that Stephen is working on. Yeah, just uh, as soon as I get done with all of my responsibilities, I'm <laughs> absolutely going to put that thing together. It should be fun. Took a lot of photos. We'll put photos in uh, on the uh, the embed uh, on our website for this podcast, so we can kind of show. Uh, I think it was really fun to paint in the blanks of like what does it look like out there, which is probably one of the best things about any bikepacking trip is what's that what's that look like on the map? Now I know, um, and we can share some of that so you can kind of see what it's like out there. Yeah, yeah, no, and 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 that's and that's that. That is the Cocapelli. That was our experience, you know. And I think I think the appetite is still there. I don't think any of it diminished. You know, in fact, I. I wish we weren't rolling into winter because I'm already thinking like, what could we do next? So I think that's also a really great takeaway is like, if you're flexible and a lot goes wrong, you know, it doesn't crush your, your love for the sport. 
it doesn't crush your appetite to just go out there and camp in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So until next time, and I hope that isn't that long that we get to do something again. Should We'll be scheming. We'll be scheming. Hope you've enjoyed our very long story about the Cocopelli Trail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're out. All right. Rodeo. Studio audience.